drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome. It's season three, episode 16 of Drive-By Cinema, the podcast where we watch the movies so you don't have to, with my co-host, Paul. Hi, Richard. Welcome to everybody. And me, Rick. Paul, Yeah. you know what I'm going to say. Corrections. Omissions. Yes. Listener Pete <sighs> has pulled you up. Last week's oh. episode, oh, which was all what about the movie Cam. Yeah. The movie focused on Cam Girls. Yeah. You spent a good portion of the podcast <laughs> several times. Look, I've got my didn't... Twitter I've got my Twitter handle back. I can say what I want to. Go on, go on, go on, go on, go on. You didn't buy the concept of Cam Girls being so into their ranking on the site. Oh god. That didn't speak to you. You it thought it was unrealistic. No, no, I thought they'd just be about the tangible benefits of Cam Girling. Well, listen to Pete, for reasons which aren't honestly 100% clear, consider him, himself a bit of an expert <laughs> on the subject. And, look, I know last week I made a case that there was a virtuous circle of if you do well, your ranking goes up, you get more viewers, therefore your ranking increases and your money goes up. Yeah. Uh, and if your money goes up, you can do And we said there was no and... NFL about it. Yeah, we, we said all that. Yeah. Pete also pointed out that these things rely on the the dopamine hit that all social media relies on. You know, when you make a post and someone retweets it or someone thumbs it up or likes it or whatever platform-specific thing they do, you get a boost from that, don't you? A mental, emotional boost. And it may be the case that many of these girls have low self-esteem and therefore are particularly prone to this kind of validation. Okay, I accept all that. It's highly addictive, Paul, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just like when someone buys one of your heated gilets... That, that frisson of And doesn't send them back. Yeah, yeah. It would be great if they didn't send them back, <laughs> claiming they were broken. Claiming they're broken? What, they don't know why they don't work? I've plugged it into the power bank. It's the power right. bank I use on my Apple phone. Don't see why it's not working. Uh, the lights flash on to indicate connection, but I can't get the light to stay on, kind of. Paul, uh, wow, you need, a customer, you need a customer complaints department. Well, then I handle the return, and of course I plug it in and it works perfectly. But by that point, I've already paid the postage to them and the postage postage on their behalf to return it because they're clever enough to claim that it's broken rather than they don't want it. If they claim they didn't want it, then they, they'd have to pay the postage themselves. You see. So, At that point, you see, having returned it and uh, having not asked them to mark the jacket, which I'm doing now, I say, can you just put your initials on the label so that then I can take a video of it and prove them that the, the, the jacket... That, a video taking out of their package and plugging in in a continuous video with the initials on the label does, in fact, bloody work. Um, <laughs> so. But, Paul, if, if they mark it, you won't be able to sell it again. I don't care. I just want them to pay bloody postage for the fact that they've got customer remorse and won't admit it. Just say, I don't want it anymore, and then pay the postage and send it back to me. I'll refund you. you know? It's all about the postage. That's where the big bucks are. Uh, sorry, anyway, back on the oh, cam we talked about. Yeah, cam girls, yes. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, cam girl sites aside, I mean, there are different ways that people do this kind of stuff these days. There's Twitch streaming, right, which ostensibly mm -hmm. is about showing you playing games, but quite a lot of Twitch streaming these days. It's is a crotch shot, yeah. Uh, but you're not allowed to show nudity on Twitch, are you? You can show crotches. Well, you can show all kinds of suggestive things. Yeah, but you know, it's not. It's a site which specifically prohibits like sexual content. 
But of course, it's filled with people being sexually suggestive. Twitter doesn't, but then of course you can't do live on Twitter. You can only like post very pornographic short videos there. And the other big one, of course, is OnlyFans, which went for a brief period of saying, because of who their investors were, who was handling their payments, that you wouldn't be able to do nudes, which was a very strange business move. Although they, <laughs> cause that's all it's for. Although they do seem to have reversed that, although they're not carried through that threat. So there are plenty of plenty of erotic content available still on OnlyFans. But any OnlyFans model always says something like top, you know, n percent of OnlyFans. They're obsessed with their ranking. I see. Top three percent. Top seven percent. That's how they advertise themselves. Yeah, the YouTube, the YouTube subscriber thing is a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, okay, yeah, I understand. It does become a thing for people. I just thought, given the business she is in, which is explicitly about extracting money, I mean, she doesn't bully people for money at any point, you know, because it's it's the modern version. But we, we think about the old oh eight nine eight numbers, where you know you, you phone up to hear somebody talk dirty, and they say, you know, give me more money, or else I'm not going to talk dirty. And you're twenty five pounds in, so you pay more money, kind of thing. I mean, given the sort of history of that kind of industry, it's almost explicitly about extracting as much money from people as, as quickly as possible. Whereas a typical YouTube channel, or maybe even an OnlyFans channel, isn't necessarily about that, is it? All this stuff, though, about OnlyFans content creators saying that they're within the top n percent it reminds me of what is it might be an apocryphal story but it was someone trying to brag it was someone trying to brag how smart they were and they'd said something like you know i did an iq test (laughs) and i was in the top 97 percentile or something oh the bigger the number the better kind (laughs) of thing Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, Pete's probably completely right about this, thinking about it. Okay. Uh, what I meant maybe was the portrayal of her enthusiasm I didn't find convincing. The way she was obsessed with it, I thought was maybe a little naive, but I, did, I didn't really think the character coalesced around that obsession. But yeah, I think he's probably completely right. They do get obsessed, you know, with the YouTube plaques and, you know, the subscriber numbers and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah, Pete yeah, said yeah, that yeah, the... Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking of the innovation <laughs> that the content providers have to go through, you know, always innovating, he said that the... Terrifying, isn't it? Well, he said that the most amazing thing he'd seen is someone doing indoor archery. <laughs> <laughs> sounds very dangerous. Take ping-pongs to a new level, doesn't it? Ping-pongs <laughs> to a new level. Or even arrows to a new level. Well, but, I mean, if you're talking about a dwelling with plasterboard walls, you know, archery indoors, very dangerous. Thud, thud, thud at night, yes, I think we're all familiar with that. Going to go clean through the <laughs> Right, smutty comments aside, uh, anything else that you want to pick me up on, Richard? No, I think we're cleaning. In a pleasant and not, a not haranguing way. We're nine by nine on the dials. Thanks, Pete. Okay, that, you know, was a, a worthwhile contribution, I think. Very much so. Pull all our listeners' contributions are worthwhile. I know. Oh, I didn't mean to say that was the only... I mean, that was another worthwhile contribution. <laughs> and I don't say another in a wearisome way before Richard picks me up on that too. Let's play some music. <laughs> Here we go. This is a tall order, but we've got to cover off everything, <sighs> everywhere... All at once. 
everything everybody's ever said about it. Yeah, wow, gosh, where to begin? I don't know. It's A24. I think we've done like three out of five movies have been A24 in the, in the recent in recent podcasts or something ridiculous like that. They're crackers. Are they really good? I mean, they're owning yeah. the entire good movie space lately, it seems to me. Yeah, and we've done more than that in total. I just, you know, it's too many to count, yeah. So, yeah, everything, everywhere, all at once is, I don't know, I would say it's first and foremost a comedy, Richard, would you agree? It's certainly light-hearted, it's funny, it's zany. It's zany, it's almost got that lightness of things like Dude, Where's My Car kind of thing, hasn't it? Yeah, it also that reminds kind of... me of Scott Pilgrim versus The World, or Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, Bill and Ted's is the other one I couldn't quite remember, or even Cheech and Chong kind of stuff, you know. Ferris like, Bueller's it's... Day Off, it's like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's... It's deliberately scratchy, you know, it kind of, or even National Lampoon to a certain extent, you know, it kind of doesn't take itself seriously at all in a certain sort of way, does it? In the future, like, we need to wait a generation or two, but in the future, I think this will be like a feel-good movie like It's a Wonderful Life, I reckon. That's the point. I mean, unlike Bill and Ted's and Do Where's My Car... (laughs) There, there, there are real emotional points in this movie, aren't there? You know, it's, it's like, it's supposed to be either Dadaist or Absurdist. I'm not sure which one. It's billed as Absurdist, you know. Uh, so it's supposed to be a whole riot, riot of fun, but kind of with an intellectual base, if I dare say that as much. But at the same time, uh, the character arcs and the emotional roller coasters are portrayed in quite a serious way, aren't they? Despite the comedy. It's got several like strong themes, hasn't it? That's mm. it, it, it is everything, everywhere, all at once because it's several different stories in one zany grab bag of wackiness. I mean, there's basically there's a story of a marriage, a, a woman, uh, you know, falling back in love with her husband. There's also a story of immigrants making it in America. Fresh off the boat, is I mean, yeah, yeah. There's also a story of, oh, and I suppose in a way also making up with their parents as well. Yeah, th- there's third generation issues, aren't there? Immigrant, immigrant third, gen- third generation issues as well, yeah. And there's also a coming out and parents coming to terms with with uh, the homosexual relationship their children are in. Is there an allegory also about mental breakdown and mental illness, do you think? Yeah, I think there is, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, are we, you know, because uh, all this absurdism, are we, you know, are we to suppose these, these things are happening or just <laughs> happening in somebody's mind? Somebody's head, yeah, of course. And, yeah. And, and this is dissociation and defense mechanisms for whatever illness sort of being played out loud kind of thing. I don't know about that bit. I mean, that was the only thing. If I had to take truck with this movie, it would be if this is about somebody having. A breakdown. A serious mental breakdown. Then some of the tone, I think, would be <laughs> maybe undercuts to, that. Yeah, <laughs> to, to 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 maybe take a step out from the rabbit hole and, and see it for you know obviously the painful experience that it is. But apart from that, or maybe it's just somebody you know going through mental anguish because they're succeeding at being every, everything everywhere all at once. So I don't know. It's very moot that point. But anyway, I guess we'll get into it. This is a story centering on. Evelyn, who is a Chinese immigrant to the US. Yeah, she looks really like Michelle Yeoh. She looks really like Michelle Yeoh, yeah, I wonder why. Oh, she is Michelle Yeoh. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle Yeoh, who, of course, made it big in in the West, I suppose. Yeah, that that big one. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yes, thank you. 
Yeah, she did. She made it really big, didn't she? I don't, you know, there's nothing wrong with aging. But I have to say, Sex in the City star, Sarah, what's her name? Huh. There's like some shots of her like- Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, she was hanging out on the subway. And she's got really wrinkly, but I'm not sure she's that much older than me, to be honest with you. Whereas Michelle, like, she's made up to look older than she actually looks in this movie. So obviously, she's uh, she's aged pretty well, I would say. If that's a thing to be proud of, which it is. She was also great in the Star Trek Discovery series where she played. Well, she starts off playing. When was that? Well, um, like last year, year, year before, maybe Whoa. it's a couple of years, two or three years ago, I don't know. But she plays the good captain at the very start, and then they meet her from the mirror universe where everyone has goatee beards, uh, where she's the evil captain. Which she's Whoa. brilliant, really, really, really good. Really good. So, yeah, big fan of Michelle Yeoh. And she is married to a guy called Waymond, with a W. Well, Wayman has got like the dorkiest voice ever. So he does. It's so kind of anodyne and just so placatory. And we know at the beginning of the movie, but she doesn't know at the beginning of the movie, that he's got divorce papers. So he seems to be unhappy enough that he wants to uh, be out of the relationship. They own a laundrette, don't they? Yeah. Which is, I suppose, a bit of a cliche, maybe a stereotype. A bit of a madam, madam wishy-washy cliche. Maybe not in the States, you know. Or maybe it is, I don't know. She'd run away from home from China, I think, to marry him against yeah. her father's wishes, really. He wasn't approving of it, was he? China mainline, China Hong Kong. It's not entirely clear why, because there's some stuff they do with the language here where there's there's stuff about what kind of Chinese different people in the family talk to each other. Yeah, Right. It's kind of weird. Really? Well, I didn't notice the language-based intricacies, except one thing near the beginning. The daughter of the family, played by Tally Medell, I think her name is. Um, uh-huh. She has got a... She's, first of all, she's got a really cool girlfriend with a great haircut. She's got like an undercut haircut. I love, I love undercut haircuts. So sexy. And her girlfriend's just getting a job in the laundromat, is that right? No, she's like introducing her to her parents or... No, no, oh. she, they've already met her, I think. But they're right. not totally accepting of it, are they? Mm-hmm. Because there's a bit very, at the very beginning where um, her mum is referring to a, a girlfriend as he or she or something. And she says... And a good friend also. She says in Chinese there's only one word. There's only one word for that pronoun. It is true, yeah. yeah. Actually, I had I had a meeting over the weekend like, where we were discussing a project, and a Chinese guy in the meeting, he, he did that. He spoke, spoke about one of his teachers at his school, because he owns a school, uh, being a he, and then at the same time, uh, sentence later, being a she. So it is genuine, yeah. But, well, I, I, I mean, I noticed it not only in Chinese. I presume it's in a few of the uh, East Asian languages as well, is it? Only- yeah, but I mean, when you're writing the characters, you do distinguish the same sounding word with, you know, male and female sort of side pictograms kind of thing. So it's interesting. So so written, there's a difference, but spoken, there is no difference. Spoken identical, yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, I am sick of gendered pronouns being a thing. It's just unnecessary. I think I may have said this before. You have once, but not twice. <laughs> so I'll say it again. Well, the, and the, what's worst is gendered honorifics, right? Mr. and Mrs., isn't it? I've definitely said that before. I'll tell you what gets the guilt for me is Sir. Oh, God, it really drives me apart, bonkers. Why? Because you haven't got a knighthood, or... Well, it's just silly. I mean... It is yeah. silly. What do you think 
pupils should call their teachers, though, at school. Teacher. Teacher. Just, oh, yeah. teacher. Leave teacher. them kids alone. Oh, yeah, I suppose it works. Well, it would become an honorific, wouldn't it? You know, teacher. Sensei. Yes. I'd go yeah. with sensei. That would be perfectly fine. Teacher. <laughs> Teacher, rather than overlord, which is somewhat is is at the moment, you know, there's directionality <laughs> to the to the uh, kind of abeyance there, isn't there? It's kind of not right. Now we learn that the laundromat business is being it's got a tax audit. IRS, yeah, you've got to go to the IRS and do it. I mean, this is understandable. You know, your second, either first or second generation immigrants, you you, you really don't know. She, no, she's a first-generation immigrant, isn't it? Yeah, she, she she's came brought up, that over, yeah. so by default she becomes second. But yeah, you're right, she's first immigration, first generation. Yeah, sorry. Uh, well, he's only visiting, isn't he? I think oh, he's only come over. Sorry, I for Chinese that. New okay. Year. I think okay. isn't, isn't that right? And she's also worried how her father will react to her her grand to his granddaughter's girlfriend. Because I think that's the, the meeting, isn't it? They're about to have a party, and they know that they're going to meet, and she's concerned how he'll react. We get a couple of flashbacks to when, as they're about to leave. It's obviously South China they're from. Okay, whether it's Hong Kong or mainland, I don't know. There's a reflection, like you know, what's it all come to? You know, their dreams as they were, as they were heading out across to America, and now the fact you know they're stuck amongst washing in somewhat bedraggled laundromat. You know, and we get some rather achingly delivered shots of like her slightly unfashionable trainers. Which I guess would be really fashionable for Gen Zers because they're all into granddad wear, aren't they? You know, and the, how the trend is, and she's wearing kind of, I would call Marks and Spencer's female slacks kind of thing, <laughs> the slacks and trainers combination kind of thing, and all that. It's quite lovingly rendered how like they've fallen into a pit of quotidian despair, haven't they? Really, in their lives, and so you get a sense of why maybe he wants to liberate them both from that through the divorce kind of thing. But he's quite a live wire, isn't he? He's like the the joie de vie of her relationship because you see him dancing with a customer in the laundrette because there's a musical, like a period drama type <laughs> thing, musical on the TV, and he, he like dances along with it. Meanwhile, Eve totally fails to to say that her daughter is there with her girlfriend. You know, she just says it's as you say, it's just her friend. Yeah. And completely also fails to tell her daughter that she loves her when there's an emotional moment. And about 12 minutes in, after all of this setup stuff, it says, it, there's a title card, and it says, part one, everything. This is a movie in three parts. Uh. Everything. Part two will be every, everywhere. Part three, all at once. So, yeah, so the thing about language, when, they, when we head back to the montage, back in the mainland, the two younguns the husband and wife before they head out to America, they're speaking in Mandarin, like standard Chinese, ah. which is weird. And Because, okay. I mean, you kind of think, because that's what they speak to their daughter, but why would they speak to each other? I don't know. That's one thing. The second thing is when mother fails to demonstrate love, yeah, to the, the, that scene you're talking about with the daughter, like there's then that kind of thing, I don't know how the two diagonals have written this, then she offers food instead, and it's done in a really cold way. And like all the Chinese parents I've been around, and they all do that. They fail to demonstrate any kind of affection right. apart from through food. When they've been doing that the, makeup, it's like yeah. the emotional language. Yeah. It is, but it's like this. She delivered it in like a, how like a Western parent might use food as a bridge 
in a very cold, emotionally cold, and here's the food instead. Like it's never done. Like that was done in a really weird way, considering it was written by somebody who's who's American Chinese and it's got you know Chinese actors. It didn't really come across as how an Asian mother would do bridging with food. You know, how would there'd they do? Be it, lots, Paul, can you? Well, there'd be. It wouldn't be like here's the food. It would be like there'd be lots of kind of clucky talk. You know, I need to fatten you shoulders. up, kind of thing. Yeah, and lots of attention, like, oh, come on, wiping of bibs, that kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and it, 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 there would be affection, but it wouldn't be affection that was the kind of affection that was requested kind of thing. So it was weird how that just came across as like, oh, did a white person write? Well, no, I don't know how that came across, but it just came across as weird. Now, listen, the father, the grandfather, brother, is being played by... Oh... Somebody famous, but who... I it is. Know. It's by James Hong, who was made it particularly big, I suppose, in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, where he played... That's right. ...the bad guy. Because James Hong became then, like, one of the standard... If you want a, a, an Asian person in your Hollywood movie, he would be one, <laughs> one of the people that you would use, you know. I suppose in the same way, Michelle Yeoh is, is in the same boat now, isn't she? Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? Like, because uh, when you become the actor, you become the popular agent actor, you, you must feel great about that at the same time because you know you've got a monopoly on those roles, kind of thing. People are, because you've now become the safe Asian face, you know, previously 10, 20 years, directors are always going to go for you and not other Asian actors, kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 They go along with Grandad to the IRS office. And he's in a wheelchair, by the way, so they're pushing him. I around. never realised who the IRS, IRS officer was until the end of the movie when I saw the really? titles. Really? I think it's brilliantly played, partly because of that. In the lift, as they're going up to the correct floor, her husband, like, suddenly kind of snaps <laughs> his head kind of thing as if he's been possessed. And he puts two, two Bluetooth headsets on her, like old-fashioned. They apparently scan her brain... <laughs> and he then offers her two paths out of the le- out of the lift, out of the elevator, yeah. as they say. It, this is the red pill, blue pill moment from the Matrix. There's a lot of Matrix homage in this film. There is, yeah. And Ratatouille homage. Where that also, came from, well, yeah, weird. <laughs> Weirdly. He, he offers, you know, you can turn right and go and see the IRS officer and do your stuff. Or you can go the other way. I may have got these directions on one way around. Yeah. You go the other way and go into the janitor. Janitor's cupboard, <laughs> and you know your life will change, etc., etc. This can't have been a Hong Kong food reference, can it? <laughs> Who knows? Now she doesn't go into the janitor's closet, does she? At least initially, she goes to face off at IRS demons. Who is played, played by, by Jamie Lee? Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis. Curtis, amazingly, yeah, really, really well played by Jamie Lee Curtis, including the. Uh, wrist strap for a carpal tunnel from using the mouse all the time or whatever. Microwave meal belly, you know, everything about it. Like the mohair jumper with the turtle there. Just, oh, gosh. Sorry, go on. Well, they've just dumped all the receipts on Jamie Lee Curtis's desk, haven't they? There's huge piles of receipts that she's going through. And she's taking issue with the way way Evelyn has... (laughs) Put all of her hobbies and pastimes as business expenses, I think. That seems to be her main complaint about the tax affairs. Evelyn's got a piece of paper that I think her husband gave her or wrote down. And she looks at it and it says, one, swap shoes to wrong feet. Two, close eyes, you're in the Janet's closet. 
And three, press the green button on the headsets that she's wearing. And uh, she sort of zones out, doesn't she? I think there's an implication that she's got ADHD, right? Because she frequently, like, fails to concentrate on matters at hand, doesn't she? Yeah. It's some sort of dissociation, you know, if we're to view it in, you know, yeah. in, in real terms, kind of in earth terms. Yeah. So does she go to the, does she imagine she goes to the janitor's? Closet, or does she or just does imagine she... doing it? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure. It's not clear, is it? But she does wind up in that closet. And in the closet, her husband acting completely differently from how we've seen it, which is an amazing bit of acting, right? We've only seen him for 12 minutes. We already know instantly that he's not behaving in the same way, right? Uh, he explains to her that he's from another universe and that a, <laughs> a great evil is assailing the multiverses. And he's been searching for her because she's obviously the key, key to uh, fixing it. This movie is all right. about multiverses, right? It was actually exactly. one of the two that came out at the same time, the other one being uh, the Doctor Strange multiverse movie. I mean, this movie's been a long time in the pipeline. You know, 2010, I think, they started writing it, and they had Jackie Chan... Lined you know, up as the, for, yeah, for the husband. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but never came to pass. So it's all about the multiverse. Now, the thing is, he explains that there are lots of different Waymans. I don't know if he explains it at this point, but later. And there are lots of different hers as well. So this is the confusing bit, is, you know, which Waymond would she be talking to throughout the movie? Yeah, I got confused. I mean, this is the Everett interpretation of quantum mechanics that they're using, right? Yeah. It's the idea, it's the sliding doors idea as well. It's the idea that every moment, every decision point, no matter how minor you might think it is, leads to a new multiverse, a new universe being created in the multiverses. In each of those multiverses, in each of those universes, a different path has been taken. But yeah, the problem I have with this, I mean, it's, it, it's not really a problem with the movie because it's its a comedy, uh, is that why would, why would life forms remain... Uh, why would they kind of remain distinct in different multiverses? They wouldn't, would they? What do you mean? Well, there's no necessary reason for you know parallel multiverses to have an eveling in both, is there? If, really. if they branch off at a point where there is an eveling, in multiverse A, then when you branch off because of a decision point, obviously A prime and A double prime both have a, a, an eveling in them. Well, at that point, they have a collection of molecules that is eveling, yeah. Yeah. But just because that's a life form doesn't mean that those molecules are all going to stay in eveling at the same time in each multiverse. I don't, I, I don't get you. I mean, they're, okay, they're, they're both evening. Right. Okay, so they're both evening. So let's say yeah. we can describe the set of molecules inside evening as set A, okay? Let's describe the set of <laughs> molecules she's about to breathe in at the moment she becomes bifurcated as the set B1 and set B2 of air molecules, yeah? Okay. There's no reason why set B1 and set... Let's call set B1 dash the molecules that stay in her lungs and are absorbed in the first multiverse, um, molecules B2 dash, the molecules that stay in her lungs in the second multiverse. There's no reason why those two sets of molecules should be the same molecules. At that point, she isn't the same entity, is she? She isn't the same collection of molecules. What do you mean by the same molecules? I mean, we know that subatomic particles are indistinguishable, right? If you, so if you put an oxygen and a hydrogen together in, in water molecule it's indistinguishable from every other water molecule isn't it so at that point you're saying to jump between entities there has to be some sort of thing that recognizes her as an entity sure if you're saying it's not the individual molecules it's a gestalt yeah absolutely it's a collection yeah 
I mean, it doesn't make the slightest bit of sense, clearly. Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's a dualist. They're proposing a kind of dualism, aren't they, where the soul can... Yeah, well, essentially they're proposing the soul. You know, how do I jump and recognise things that might have been breathed out or not breathed out in two different universes? <laughs> is what I'm saying. I'm trying to say badly. Yeah, look, all of We're saying there's an AI that recognises that's Evelyn. Yeah, okay. That's there's right. A, yeah. There's a but, knowledge. There's a, there's a mind that says that's Evelyn, okay. Various various sort of attributes, irrespective of the individual subatomic and you know atomic and subatomic particles, that is Evelyn, and that's we're talking about a god, a god program here or something. I don't know. I mean, well, they certainly have. We know that the Bluetooth headsets are communicating with screen guys. You know, yeah. your classic. I, they seem to be in a van or something. Or, or, I couldn't work it out. But somewhere there are people on computer screens figuring things out about these multiverses and mapping how to get from one universe to another. <laughs> They're in a van in what seems to be some sort of neon terraform. But anyway. All of this hand-wavy multiverse stuff it is yeah, it's, done, it's done again and again in, in with the same tropes, isn't Bill it? Bill and Ted's, you know, I mean. Well, that's time travel, different. Is it, is it time travel? Where it's been done very, very, um, I don't know, repeatedly is Rick and Morty, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Doctor Who, ever? I'm not sure about Doctor Star Who. Star Trek, obviously. Star Trek but does it a bit. It's more doppelgangery. Yeah. Star Trek does do it a bit. But, yeah, Rick and Morty is very much, you know, I mean, he has a gun that can go through to any of these multiverses, and they make a constant joke about there being multiple copies. Um, it's done to death in Rick and Morty, and they're just really riffing off that same trope. Yeah. You either buy it or you don't, don't you? It's... I could get it, you know, if you had a good old algorithm like a 3D printer, you know, the blueprints don't, you know, we could send the blueprints through and get something made of, you know, different stuff. I mean, I get that, but, yeah, slightly problematic. But anyway, that's what kind of was going off in my head. It's like, oh, gosh, yeah, uh, let's just view it as a zany comedy. So the basic idea is that what you can do with these Bluetooth headsets and these guys these screen guys in the van who direct you, is you can, by doing something which I suppose they describe as random, you can flip your consciousness to experience your life in a different multiverse where you've yeah. made different choices, sliding door style. Some sort got... of improbability drive going on there, yeah? Exactly. This whole movie has got a very Douglas Adams feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Which is another reason why I think I love it. One of my favourite authors. I think the everything bagel was the most Douglas Adams moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Brilliant. idea is that by going to a different universe where you've got different life experiences, you can kind of absorb those into your into yourself to give yourself those capabilities. Very Matrix, you know, the way they download being able to fly a chopper or do kung It through. is, yeah, yeah. And so they do that very early on, don't they? But we'll get to that in a sec, I guess. I think she sort of snaps back from the janitor's cupboard now, back into being lectured by Jamie Lee Curtis. Deirdre is the, the IRS agent's name, isn't it? <laughs> Deirdre. And she's, she's had awards, apparently, for being an auditor. She's got several of them. They all look, they're all shaped like butt plugs on little plinths, aren't they? I, uh, I, I mean, I instantly saw that, which I guess says a lot about me, doesn't it? <laughs> Has she met Deirdre in the alternate verse? No, I think we then snap. We back. first meet Joe. We first meet Joy's doppelganger or invert don doppelganger, don't we? No, I don't think so. I think the first, apart from her husband, Jabutupaki. 
<laughs> we don't mean Jobu Tupaki at this point. <laughs> no, he tells uh, her about it, doesn't he? Jobu Tupaki. And she says something like, you know, you just, that's just syllables, meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny. But no, they're, they're in the closet and suddenly the door bursts open and Jamie Lee Curtis, the auditor, breaks the door Deirdre, down and attacks oh, right. her. Yeah, really violently, I seem to remember. Yeah. Eve punches her. <laughs> that's right, yeah. After after that, she gives them till 6pm to redo their taxes. Her husband snaps back to his normal self. Oh, no, no. So, like, there's, a, there's an alpha universe, he describes. And he's like the That's alpha right. Waymond. And he sort of snaps back, pulls out some lip balm, eats it all. <laughs> this is while security are trying to apprehend yeah. them. You remember all the comic moments. It was really funny. And then he pulls his bum bag off, doesn't he? And he uses it like a... <laughs> What's, uh, what are those sticks on chains called? Or, this is like a chain weapon. And he, he disarms all the security guards with a, a bum bag filled with filled with gravel, I think. So a lot of this is that he's, he's punning, isn't it, on, you know, fresh off the boat, Arivist sort of aspirationalism, isn't it? You know, here I am off the plane, you know, with my powerful bum bag and lip balm, I'm going to conquer America <laughs> and stuff, yeah. So, really funny. Uh, at some point, we do meet Jobu Topaki. I think it's pretty soon, isn't it, Rich? You're right, yeah. Yeah. Her daughter becomes kind of possessed by one of these alternate universe souls, doesn't she? And her mind has been splintered uh, after being pushed too far in the Alphaverse by 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 Evelyn. I don't really understand, okay? But well, what, we, what we learn is, is in the Alphaverse, I think Evelyn was some kind of scientist who came up with universe uh, jumping. But she got killed, I think, I probably see. by Jobu Tabaki. You're just making so, up sounds. Jobu Tabaki <laughs> is their daughter, Joy, or, you know, he's played by their daughter, Joy. And her mind has been shattered, but this has, like, a, a, a knock-on effect or a side effect that means she can ex- she can manipulate everything. She can experience everything at once yes. in a crazy kind of way yeah. and therefore manipulate matter to her own will. And it is she that has created the black hole, like, everything bagel. The everything bagel, <laughs> yeah. It's where she stores all her... Ultimate consciousness on a on a, on a bagel. It appears which is to obviously consume... reference to silly physics ideas, kind of thing. <laughs> it appears to consume more than just light and matter. <laughs> and Alpha Wayman tells Eve that in in this verse, she she's the key to defeating this evil. Jamie Lee Curtis at some point staples a piece of paper with a circle on it to her forehead. <laughs> And she jumps well, this is the really universe. Funny. Of course, she's called the cops, by the way. Yeah, so the cops are now searching the building for uh, for for Evely and Waymond. Deirdre, Jamie Lee Curtis has gone into a, an alternate universe where she's a pro wrestler. So she comes out <laughs> fighting and defeats Waymond. Waymond during this like fight explains that to jump, you have to do something statistically improbable to jump universe, as you say, infinite improbability drive stuff. Whoa. Eve does this and makes it to the Kung Fu universe where she's a Kung Fu star, like a Jackie Chan-esque. Yeah, she's a film star and a Kung Fu expert. Yeah. This this pinky finger is Kung Fu. There's lots of like little jokey montages about anything can be Kung Fu, you know. I think Bruce Lee said this glass of water could be Kung Fu or something. So... <laughs> So it's a joke, but I don't know quite where from the references. Apparently, in the Alphaverse, all the cattle have died off. So Waymond is very keen on cream cheese, particularly on bagels. 
So in in this in this in this kung fu verse, I'm not sure it's the alpha verse. It's not the alpha verse, but in this kung fu verse where she's a film star, she's actually watching a movie of her kind of earthbound existence at times. Yeah. Well, she's watching a movie that she's made, isn't she? I think. But it seems to be the movie that we've just watched for the first fifteen minutes. We also know that she's not married to Waymond in Kung Fu Universe. Ah, yeah, they know each other. I don't know what it's, what it is, but you know, they knew close. each other as, as kids, but they didn't run away to America yeah. and get married. I think at this point, Joy arrives, doesn't she, and starts defeating all of cops in a reality bending way. You know, just yes. dancing them out of existence and making them turn into glitter and stuff like that. That was wonderful. That was wonderful. <laughs> Eve is terrified and she tries to get back to Kung Fu World, but she winds up misjumping, as it were, into a universe where all the people have hot dogs for fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and she's in a relationship with Deirdre. Well, we learn that later, don't we? She comes back to this place several times. You're, but you're they're, right. They're smothering each other with hot dog fingers. <laughs> It's, it's just nuts, but really, really enjoyable. With mustard and ketchup all over the fingers, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Jobu kind of def- seemingly defeats Evelyn, who's left in a lifeless pile on the floor. And we cut to part two, which is titled Everywhere. Well, she shows her the everything bagel, doesn't it? Doesn't she? Ah, oh, yes. It's another theme of this movie is, is nihilism. And another theme is that feeling that you have that you've done nothing with your life, that you had all this potential represented by all of these other multiverses. But here you are running a laundrette or whatever whatever quotidian thing well, you do. Well, uh, laundromats do this to you, don't they? When you face <laughs> that tumbling laundry, you face the universe, don't you, kind of thing. It's like very mind-expanding, but in a depressive way, going to the laundromat. But it's like watching your laundry circling a black hole, is it? Yeah, but you, you're faced with a universe of thoughts, aren't you? So it's like... And like a black hole... On the very edge, time stops, isn't it? The laundromat of oblivion. Sounds like a Douglas Adams book, doesn't it? But you're right, yeah. Nihilism and oblivion in particular, like, they're real themes of the movie, aren't they? They're rescued by Alpha Gong Gong, who's their grandfather. <laughs> Who speaks fluent English. He runs down uh, Joju Tabaki with a wheelchair, rescues even Waymond. Uh, Alpha Waymond explains to Eve that she's the one because she's so bad at everything. <laughs> Which is a beautiful inversion of the novel trope, right? <laughs> <laughs> and she's in another universe where she's a cook, and this is where the ratatouille stuff comes in. She works alongside <laughs> a, a teppanyaki chef, Chad, who can't cook, and hasn't got a rat inside his hat. He's got a raccoon. It's a raccoon, yeah. <laughs> and it just puts this really, really subdom. A bestial spin on the whole <laughs> Ratatouille movie. It's kind of like, it's sick, but funny at the same time. She also visits a universe where she's a singer to increase her lung capacity, where she defeats a load of agents who have jumped into d- different bodies around them. Again, very Matrix style, isn't it? Where ordinary people become like part of the, the system trying to defeat you. And she also goes into a universe where... One of the IRS officers has got a BDSM dungeon in his office, <laughs> so she knows where it is. I, th- I think she defeats them at one point. She fights them with dildos, doesn't she? <laughs> That's right, yeah. 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 Now, Jobu Tabaki explains that the reason that she has created the bagel is to ultimately destroy herself 
But somehow this gets Eveling on board. Well, is, is, Eveling it not, is, is it not a kind of allegory or metaphor for how her daughter feels? You know, she's got a nihilistic kind of outlook and I think she probably doesn't feel very positive about her situation. Yeah, and- it probably is. But within the story itself, I, I, there's some mechanism whereby creating this everything bagel will allow Jobu to to defeat her own evil kind of thing. And Evelyn is persuaded to peer into the everything bagel. She is at some point, that's right. And that then she starts to act in a very nihilistic way, doesn't she? She decides to get a divorce, that kind of stuff. There's a lot going on in this movie, and it's really hard to sort of summarise it in any kind of coherent way. Um, Paul, I told you, you were going to have to do it. And I don't <laughs> honestly don't know where we are now. <laughs> well, she's about to enter the everything bagel. You're right. She's fallen into nihilism, hasn't she? She gets drunk. She signs her divorce papers. This is kind of rock bottom for her, where everything has gone wrong. She's completely fucked up her relationship with Deirdre at the IRS. They're going to be audited at 6pm tonight. They're still (laughs) supposed to be having a New Year's Eve party with her dad. Her relationship with her daughter has fallen out, and she's getting divorced, finally. There's some point as well where she... I think she sort of collapses winds up in a multiverse or a universe where life didn't exist and she is a rock, right, she's a rock. sitting on a cliffside. Yeah. I kind of enjoyed that. Her daughter Joy is also a rock next to her and they have a chat. And one of them starts to shuffle towards the other and says, hey, you're a rock, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. I really enjoyed that universe. That, sorry, that alternate verse. Again, it's really Douglas Adams, really nice. Uh, quite Terry Pratchett as well, I suppose. At some point, she ends up back in, I suppose, our universe with Waymond talking sense. And, you know, it's obvious that despite all of his goofiness, Waymond really is kind of like her centre, isn't he? Yeah. She's quite scatty and quite mercurial. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he is always cheerful, but, you know, a steady rock for her. And I, I, I think I we're think... going to descend into kind of uh, horoscope analyses now, aren't we? <laughs> Chinese is, or Western horoscopes? I don't know. He he is he is wood and earth, and she is fire and water. <laughs> but yes, you're right, definitely. Basically, she falls back in love with Wayman, doesn't she? He's a Taurus. He's a Taurus. Everybody. Uh, sorry, go on. <laughs> she does. She realizes that she's. That she rekindles the flame, and somehow, I mean, basically, the movie is is sown through that through those kind of actions. There's also some stuff stuff where she she gets to speak to Joy or Jobu, having defeated Jobu's fighters, uh, and manages to reconnect with her daughter by saying she's not alone. That's right. And, That's uh, right. That she does have meaning in admittedly quite meaningless multiverses. And she stands up to her dad and says that you know, Joy has a girlfriend. That's right, yeah. And uses the appropriate word, presumably. And in the in the alternate verse, she's defeated uh, Alpha Gong Gong, who is the English fluent uh, doppelganger of her grandfather. So, yeah, so at this point, you know, I think it plays on the fact, like, are these things just happening in her mind, or are we to take it as it is, like, you know, like a, a, multiverse, a, a multiverse alternate reality? But interesting, nonetheless, how it all kind of plays out. It's sweet, isn't it, at the end? Where she's yeah. reconciled with Waymond. Part three starts at two hours and ten minutes into the film. It's quite a long film, isn't it? But it didn't drag. I didn't feel that it was too long. No, not at all. No. 
Part three is, is, is of course, called All at Once. So it's about a lot of things. A lot of things, yeah. Uh, that's it, though, isn't it? At the end, she's reconciled. They do their taxes right. <laughs> they have a, a Chinese New Year's party. <laughs> Becky is accepted into the family. Uh, yeah. Gong Gong. Uh, grandfather seems to accept her. And, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what happens to the raccoon, though. It's in a different universe, surely, Paul. Doesn't the raccoon... Doesn't she tell the guy that he's okay on his own? I can't remember. I don't know. Probably doesn't make him a good cut, though, does it? I mean, it's very difficult to describe this film and it, it do is. it any justice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, labyrinthine plot, which, you know, they've obviously spent a lot of time tying together. The jokes, it's, it's very jokey and it's all really well observed, you know. There's so much in here. It's kind of like a quality street box of a film, isn't it? You know, you can just dip in there and choose whatever flavour you want. So I was really impressed by the backstage work that's got into this to make it to make it work. As you say, it just pulls on so many different themes, doesn't it? You know, immigration, uh, generational differences between, you know, in immigrant, immigrant families, kind of like American aspirationalism and exceptionalism, mental health, potentially, or, you know, uh, neurodiversity and how different people deal with the world. And then, of course, as you said, you know, nihilism and all that kind of stuff and oblivion how we face that and and the everyday moments where we're kind of plunged into that emptiness for example a laundromat so yeah i mean well, there's other stuff too isn't there obviously there's time travel and multiverses and that kind of stuff not time travel sorry and all that science fiction stuff all that rapper but yeah i mean mm. and then of course rekindling a relationship and you know looking at how relationships are almost doomed to fizzle out and that you actively have to manage them. I don't know, really. There's so much going on, isn't there? As you mentioned, written by... The two Daniels. Yeah, Dan Quan and Daniel Schneert. Schneert. Uh, who had previously done, I think, Swiss Army Man, another A24 film. Renowned Whoa. for its weirdness, starring Daniel Radcliffe. Really? Yeah. We should perhaps put that on our list of films. We should. What's it called? Swiss, Swiss Army, Army Man. Man. It's about a dead body washes up on a beach next to another guy. Uh, a dead body played by Daniel Radcliffe. I haven't seen it except insofar as someone on a plane was watching it on the seat back TV next to me. So I've seen the visuals of quite a lot of it, but not... Washed up on a beach. I, f- I can feel I can feel for that one. I was watching a TikTok movie where a cat stood in its own litter Flipped the litter over its head and was like, therefore bathed in sand. And then, like, humorously, they've put like a sunset, <laughs> kind of added sunsets to make it look like it's on a beach. You know? and, and at the moment, we you know with effluent uh, discharges in the UK river system, that's literally what you're doing when you go to the beach. You're sitting in your own human excrement or litter looking at the sunset. In your own effluvia. Yeah. In your own effluvia, yeah. So I just thought it was very apposite. Yeah, no, a really good movie. I love this one, Rich. Uh, and I loved its ambition and the fact it went everywhere in that kind of giddy referencing, as we've mentioned, those kind of fun, maybe older zany movies that you don't seem to get too many of these days. So just really fun, but touching on other things too, emotional trauma and uh, the nature of relationships. So yeah, 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 yeah. Is it time to score it? You go first. Oh, God. Well, let's start with the easy stuff. A plot was great. Plot? Uh, I mean, it's whether you can manage to follow it. You're not supposed to be able to manage to follow it. I thought part of the joke is the fact that it just is too much to follow. Uh, But there's so much to get out of this plot. Just really fun 
I loved it. Eight and a half. I mean, fundamentally, it's a very simple story, isn't it? About a woman yeah. having a sort of midlife crisis and, and getting over it and finding joy in life one way or another. Told in an entertaining way with a very knowing pop culture kind of references everywhere. Something is going to please everyone, I think, at some point. Uh, the only thing is you might be annoyed that it's trying to do too much, maybe. It does try and do a lot, but I think that's part of the joke, isn't it? It's like, you know, I, I got a bit confused about the alpha verse and then the, 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 the verse where she is a movie star and a kung fu expert, and then the other verse that she accidentally jumps into that's somehow critical for outcomes, you know. If you're going to concern yourself with those kind of details, you're probably not going to enjoy it as much as you could do. But yeah, sorry, how would you score the plot, Rich? I will give it an eight easily, maybe maybe more, but oh. only time will tell. I think this is a modern classic, future classic. Yeah. How's about the acting? Did it pop? Maybe we should do acting and casting. Yeah, acting and casting. Because I'm sitting on another like secret bombshell, aren't I, here? That, Which is what? Paul, who plays Waymond? That Vietnamese guy. Called? I can't pronounce it. It's uh, K-Hugh Quan, isn't it? Yes, Quan. And why do we know him? What's he been in? Are you looking it up? Star Trek? No, no, I'm looking around. <laughs> hoping there's clues on my wall. I'm doing, I'm doing it, Evelyn. No, let me tell you. Let me, let me tell you where you've seen him. You've not seen him for 20 years or more because he's barely, you know, he's barely had an Just let me go to the airing cupboard and find out, Richard. <laughs> let me talk to the mobs. I'm not seeing for 20... Oh, wait. No, it isn't. It's my childhood crush. Who? It's not. From the Goonies. Yes, from the Goonies. You stop it right now. And also short round in Indiana Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That man does not know how many sticky socks were the results of him. Gosh, I mean, he was quite young in those films, Paul, but still, so are you. So was I. So So was I. (laughs) Same age. (laughs) Fair enough. It's all all above board. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, he's another, well, here's another example, right? Like James Hong being, you know, the standard Chinese actor. Here's a guy who, you know, th- th- those roles were important. I think you'd have to say that Steven Spielberg casting him in those roles was an important thing, but it does smack a little bit of tokenism when he was like the last Asian starring role. True. I mean, are, are we to say that tokenism is worse than no presence? None at all. I don't yeah, know. No, exactly. I, well, I don't know, actually, because tokenism excuses, you, uh, excuses an industry of the guilt it might feel otherwise, doesn't it? I don't know, actually. It's a, it's a moot point, but yeah. But it's, I think it's great to bring him back in this film that says so much about these themes, particularly as it makes of him exactly what you might have... That he's made out to be a bit of a geek at the start, a bit of a nerd at the start. He wins the day through just being, you know, a decent guy, really. I think it's it's a really nice story, and it adds to it for me that he was cast in this role. I, I think they were also almost going to cast Aquafina as the daughter, and she would have been quite a thing to watch. So, you know, there's at least a number of people, different people you could cast in these roles. But I think things have improved since the days of... Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Was he in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Too, yeah, he was short round, wasn't he? Oh. The little kid with... I never Indi- saw Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom as a kid, you see. I only saw him in the Goonies. Right, okay. It just passed you by, did it, the whole Indiana Jones thing? Well, no, I mean, it cost money, didn't it? You know, my parents didn't necessarily... And they kind of chose the movies that we watch on VHS. Right, okay. Like, did your parents not choose? You were like, beaten to sleep with a handful of cold gravel for you, dinner. Like, yeah. I had to beg to watch Commando. Kind of thing. Oh God, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible movie. Uh, so it's like, 
Uh, and I got that. So that was like my one, like one once a year, I get to choose the movie I actually wanted to watch. Yeah, yeah. If I said like, can we get Ghostbusters out or you know Indiana Jones? They'd be like, no, because I mean they're two pound fifty, weren't they, or three pounds at time? So it had to be something the whole family wanted to watch. Well, you've come a long way, Paul, since your your humble beginnings. Ten or fifteen quid these days. I mean, it's not cheap <laughs> even these days. Fifteen quid for a movie. Not at your cinema. You said it was. That's what my cinemas cost that. For you, it was like, you said it was seven quid or something. Yeah, but I'm talking VHS here, you know. It used to be three pounds to rent them out, didn't it? I guess, I guess so. Listen, for acting, amazing performances from Jamie Lee Curtis, Michelle Yeoh, from Keiki Kwan, from Stephanie. What can you say? From James Hong. It's got to be an eight, maybe a nine. I'm going to score it nine. I really love the acting. It just went everywhere that it should do. Categories. How about the science? <laughs> Yeah. You know, I, I really think we need to dig into this idea that conscious entities are going to be connectable through multiverses, even though they stop sharing the same formulatory material. Sure. That to me is problematic I agree. at the least. Yes. Unless, of course, you know, you ascribe to game universe theory where these are all, all universes are actually simpler game emulations created by a larger kind of Simulation theory. We're all in a simulation. Simulation theory, yeah. Mm. But that presupposes there exists outside the simulation something even more sophisticated, doesn't it, really? A metaphysical meta-universe. You know, essentially a god algorithm is what we're talking about here. I mean, it wasn't satisfying, was it? However, I think given those assumptions, accepting the assumptions as they are, I didn't really see anything glaringly wrong in terms of what happened in the multiverse is presented, if that makes sense. Hey, it's the ever interpretation of quantum mechanics, the many worlds theory. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I'll give it a five for science. I thought as presented, you know, things were consistent. So I'm going to go score it a seven, just a bit disassatisfying that we had to do this stuff with it all. When I think, you know, we could have done it with time travel, couldn't we, really? Comedy and overall score, then. It's had some laughs, definitely. At least three, which I think is your minimum for a comedy. There's some really good lines. It does make me laugh. I'll give it a seven for comedy. I thought it was funnier than that. Uh, some of it was desperately funny. Uh, some of it, you know, it, it is cribbed, obviously from Douglas Adams, obviously from Ratatouille, quite obviously and evidently. But the plays and the spins they put on this stuff, the Everything Bagel, just loved it. Okay, those that con- the conceptual humour was, was there. And there's some really funny moments too. Jamie Lee Curtis, I never actually knew as a comic actor, but she is. Brilliant. Yeah, I'm going to give it 9.5 for comedy. I really did laugh at this one. But overall, this is much greater than some of its parts, even even though they're good. I, say, I think this is a future Christmas Day movie for everybody. So I'm going to give it a 9. I was going to give it a 9, but I can't, I can't, I can't give it a 9 because you've just given it a 9. So I'm going to score it an 8.5. It's brilliant, uh, and you need to go and see it if you haven't already. It's got great reviews on uh, IMDb and stuff, hasn't it? It's really done well. It, yeah, the reception is incredible. And A24, they never seem to make a loss, really. Okay, it was made for 25, uh, and it's pulled in over 100 million at the box office. So, so, so yeah, there we go. Richard. Yeah. We seem to have drawn, drawn a line at the end of our discussion there and uh, decided this was a very good movie indeed. So do go out and watch everything, everything. Everything, everywhere, all at once, if you can do. But it brings us on to next week's choices. Can I offer you three choices and see what you think about them? Well, we were going to try and watch another very good movie called Decision to Leave, Paul. But exactly. according to you, it's only available for Not viewing. Not according to Google and Google Maps, Richard. 
It's only available to be seen in Manchester. Yes, only for the select few who are the urbanites enough, yeah. urbane enough to live in the northern great metropolis that is Manchester. Am I to believe that this Korean movie was made specifically with Manchester in mind? Potentially, yeah. Is that what's going on here? <laughs> I imagine it's got a, a widespread release, uh, a wide distribution in Korea, but internationally maybe is limited in the budget that's allocated to marketing and, and distribution rights. So we might have to wait it out until it appears on a streaming service near us, as it were. 2023, according to Just Watch. So oh, okay. Don't hold your breath. I won't be holding my breath, no. So what have you got for me then that you can actually see in the parochial... Hick town that you live in. <laughs> oh, he's up to the left. <laughs> he's shut the door. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. No, I have. I'm just trying to read my writing actually as it as it as it, as it happens. So just give me one second or so work out what I've written here. Oh, okay, right, I can read my writing. Okay, so Richard, I've got three 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 choices for you for the next week. Okay. You can choose Office Space. 1999. An umpty years old comedy or an umpty years old comedy about working into cubicles, into cattle cattle stalls. The Core, and this is a bit I couldn't read in my own writing. Uh, the Core, which, as you might guess, is all about doing something with the Earth's core. With apples. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. We're probably going to be talking about magnetic effects of various kinds if we get into that one and then finally captain nova which is a mystery i've got no idea what it is but it sounds intriguing okay so do by all means take your pick from those three have we checked that we can actually see these on the streaming services no we haven't oh god oh my god uh well i'm tempted by the mystery but i'll tell you why i'll tell you why the what the mystery one the captain nova one oh captain nova okay i think you i haven't mentioned a movie called the mystery but yeah captain nova why because the core is like god awful. I mean, it, it'll be a laugh at the bad science kind of movie. And what was the first one you suggested? Uh, the core. Prior to the core, yeah. <laughs> office space. I mean, office what space. Are you, yeah. you doing? Short term memory test for me here, Richard. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? Office space. I don't know. Maybe 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 too similar to what we've just seen. Given it mostly is comedy set in an office. I don't know. My choice is Captain Nova, which I think is a time travel movie. Whoa, okay, good. We're firmly back away from horror and into ridiculous science fiction That's genre. It. I'm glad about that. So, Captain Nova, the movie Captain for next Nova week, is. assuming yes. that we can actually see it on a streaming service. Until which then... It might not be the case. <laughs> Join us next time, Series 3, Episode 17 of Drive-By Cinema. Goodbye. Ciao for now, see you in the next one. Ta-ra! Thank you.